You are listening to Prickly and Blooming, brought to you by LaJoy Society. And now, your hostess, Jessie Browning. All right, all right, all right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. I'm so happy you've pressed play today. Whatever day it is and whatever you're doing, I hope that you're protecting your peace. That's one of my favorite sayings that I picked up. I mean, sure. Okay. A lot of people have said this, you know, over the millennia that humans have been speaking. (laughs) Protect your peace. But the person that brought it to my life that really sunk in, his name is Trent Shelton. And I really appreciate him. Um, So I hope you're protecting your peace and sitting down or going out for a walk and going to tune in to hear another amazing story. I just adore bringing all these stories and I hope that they're starting to fill your heart and you can send them to people who they're relevant to and you know really understanding and connecting with other people's stories and taking that forward into the world of like oh I heard someone talk about this on a podcast and it just helps us be better listeners and show up better for people and we can be more empathetic and we can you know, take these stories and apply them to people in our own lives. So anyway, okay. Jenea brought this amazing concept, which is basically the entire concept of the show, right? But she brought the sentence, which I've heard before, but I was like, duh, this is a sentence we need to bring to the show. Ready? When the pain of staying becomes greater than the pain of changing. Ding, 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 ding. That's our moment. That's the moment we're always starting the show with of when when did things change for you? When did it become easier to move forward than it was to stay where you were? And I say easier in quotes, you know? So I'm so excited. This is just such an amazing project and I can't do it without you guys. And I love that you guys listen and share and Oh, right. Rate the show. That's right. That's right. The rate the show. That's really important. And you guys are doing it and keep doing it. And every, every time you rate the show, a a gnome gets his hat, gets her hat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's going to be my version of, you know, every time you do something, a gnome gets its hat. That's my version. I've just come up with it. Okay, great. So go rate the show so a gnome can get their hat. (laughs) Um, and without further ado, let's send it over to, uh, Jenea and Jesse, me. <laughs> okay. Bye. Hey everyone. I've got Jenea here with me today. Hi. Hi. So it's a beautiful, um, afternoon here in Texas and I'm just so appreciative. I get to sit down and meet these people and talk to women and share their stories. And so thank you for taking time and meeting with me here today. Absolutely. And my pleasure. Cool. So we always, I always want to know just like a little bit, like tell us just a few things to know about you before we like hear a lot about you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, get us started, warm us up a little. All right. So I am what I call an elevation guide. And what Mm -hmm. I do is I help people transform their self-sabotage, basically. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of stuff with the subconscious mind, a lot of that stuff that's, you know, self-sabotages us. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. reprogramming, reshifting, 
recalibrating, build, building self-esteem, learning how to handle emotions, and all of that stuff that gets in the way of our highest good, our relationships, our jobs, our promotions, all that stuff. Oh, the stuff that we're not taught. <laughs> I know. Why don't they teach us this stuff when we're in school? Could you imagine what society would be like? I know. I think they're starting to. So my six-year-old told me yesterday um, how she learned about empathy. Ooh. Uh-huh. She's in first grade. And she told me about, at first she was like, empathy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a hard word. And she has trouble with THs anyway. Um, so, and she has just like this amazing badass fucking teacher who would make sure that would happen. She's also a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So just everyone it's happening. I think it's happening in, in, in those certain, certain circumstances, but anyway. Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's a social emotional learning lessons in first grade. Love awesome. it. The next thing we like to hear is this moment that in hindsight is you can identify where change happened in your life. And you, you kind of have these um, phrases. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> the phrases we've come up with are, you know, this wasn't the plan or this can't be my life. Or uh, another one is really common is, is just not this, you know, kind of like, I don't know what else my life is going to be like, but it just can't be this anymore. Right. And so I always want to start with this like uncontextualized, like moment that you can identify that that happened for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I always use the, there's that saying of people change when the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same. And I could definitely mm -hmm. say that my moment that started, it was the beginning of the domino effect, I guess, mm -hmm. that started mm -hmm. that was in... I think it was 2011 and mm -hmm. I was had a coworker who mm -hmm. I had a very unconventional not healthy relationship with before mm -hmm. he started working with me and mm -hmm. then he started working with me so there was when things got very toxic there was no escape and mm -hmm. because of my background my childhood I was always trying to make everything okay. Somehow mm -hmm. I have to fix it. I have to make mm -hmm. it okay. And it can't be uncomfortable. You have to fix it. I, I have to fix yes. it. Yep. Whatever it is, scan yes. the room, know uh -huh. everything that's going on. I was a bartender at the time. And so I was very mm. used to paying attention, accommodating people's needs, all of that. Mm. And um, he date raped me in 2010 and again at a lesser level in 2011 and mm -hmm. it was almost a it was literally almost exactly a year later and i had spent all this time trying to make him understand why what he did to me the first time made me feel the way it did and all this stuff, mm -hmm. trying to fix it, trying to fix yep, try it mm -hmm. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> and he, once he did it again at a lesser level, there was an actual penetration, but I was mm -hmm. asleep and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. I, I think I was after, it was after work and everybody was hanging out for a little while. 
and we had a new door person who was friends with everybody, but what ha- wasn't so intertwined the way everybody had been. And we were walking home, and I finally said it out loud mm-hmm. what that man had done to me. And it was facing the reality and the shame of it for the very mm-hmm. first time, like accepting that it was real, that I couldn't mm-hmm. fix it anymore. It was this moment, I can't fix it anymore. Mm-hmm. So here we go. And once I said it to one person, and it was a little easier because it wasn't, he wasn't as close. He was a little outside the circle, even though he was uh-huh. inside the circle. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to, and all my coworkers hated him, this guy. Mm-hmm. So, then I was able to eventually share with the other coworkers, and then little by little, we made it so he wasn't allowed to come in while I was working. We got him off all of my shifts and eventually out to a different bar. Um, so he wasn't working there at all. Uh, my bosses were not really people I could go to specifically, so it was kind of something we co-workers sort of made happen behind the mm-hmm. scenes. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. And that was probably the first time I realized that, it's funny, I've never said this story out loud. I've written mm-hmm. parts of it because I'm in the process of writing a book, but I haven't mm-hmm. actually ever said it out loud. Mm-hmm. So I then was able to share it with, my lover at the time, Mm -hmm. which was really, really scary. And I remember what he said to me. He's like, why didn't you ever tell me this before? Mm -hmm. And I, at this point in my life, I held my emotions. I was not a feeler. (laughs) (laughs) I think think lots of us women have Mm -hmm. had to be strong and hold it all in. Lots of us men as well. Yep. Um, and I just, I lost it and I started crying for the first time ever in front of him. And I told him I was so scared that he would never want to touch me again. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a deep, deep spiral shame. Mm-hmm. And, but it really, as I look back, it was the first big step that I took Mm -hmm. towards taking control of my own life and not having the outside experiences rule my experience. People who've listened to my episode, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. It's all very, it's all very similar. So I love to like, like roll back the tape now and tell me about, you know, what your life was and how it got to that moment. You know, what, like you said, like you, you've talked about a little bit, like you, you've kept your emotions in, like what other stuff like that? Like how, how were you, like, for lack of a better word, trained, you know, to be in that moment? You know what I mean? Like what background got you to there? Your life, your, you know, family, like all of it, like, like let's back up now. Tell me like, you, are you ready I, for you, it? Are I, you ready for uh-huh. it? Ready? Like, <laughs> getting my water. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do it. So we can start 
from the time I was four years old. Mm-hmm. When I was almost five years old, my very best friend in the world was a junkie and a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't pay too much attention mm-hmm. what I was doing, so I kind of roamed free. And she actually thought that my friend Carl was a little boy that I played with up the street. Mm-hmm. And... We had the best time. Carl and I had the best time. He was so loving and kind to me. Mm -hmm. He spoke to me in ways that I didn't get at home. He listened Mm -hmm. to what I had to say. Like he was really interested. Mm -hmm. And he took the time to understand what Mm -hmm. I was trying to say, understand what I was thinking. And that was unusual for me. So we Mm -hmm. can already start to see how I might really try to fix and mm-hmm. and make people happy because I became a mm-hmm. people pleaser because mm-hmm. I was always fighting for my mother's love because she yep. wasn't around that much. She partied a lot and she worked nights. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went up to Carl's house one day and he was very, very, very sick. And I know now, I realize now he was going through heroin withdrawal. Okay. Yeah. And at the time, I just wanted to help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this compassionate little girl, Look I wanted to help. Mm-hmm. And so he told me there was nothing that I could do, that I should just go home. Um, he also said that he really wanted sugar and he okay. felt like he was going to die. Well, I was terrified seeing him in such a state. Mm -hmm. And so what I heard, because I know now, when our emotions are heightened, Mm -hmm. our perception of reality is often not clear. Yep. Yep. And so what I heard him say was that he was going to die unless he got some sugar. Okay. So I ran home. (laughs) It's like, I can save him. (laughs) Yeah. I ran home, I jumped up on the counter, opened up the cabinets, looking for the sugar, and my mom came in. Jenea, what are you doing? And I I was hysterical. I tried to explain to her that Carl was gonna die unless he got some sugar. And what she heard through my hysteria was that Carl, remember she thought that he was a little boy, Uh that Carl, was going to kill himself unless I brought him food. So she sat me down and she said, Jenea, that little boy is manipulating you. He is not mm-hmm. going to kill himself. You are not to bring him any food. And so I was a good girl and I mm-hmm. did not bring him any food or sugar for that matter. And so a few days later, I woke up in the middle of the night that inner knowing, that inner sense, like something is terribly wrong. And I woke up and I ran out of the house. I ran right by my mom and her friends. They were partying in the living room. They didn't even see me sneak out the door. (laughs) I ran up to Carl's house and I found him in his bed, barely awake. And it turns out he had just OD'd, but we had a moment. I held his hand. He told me that I was magic. (laughs) And then he died. And I didn't, of course, understand at first. I Mm -hmm. shook him, I beat on his chest, trying to get him to wake up, and then he died. So I basically 
learned a few things that day. And anytime yeah. that anytime that our emotions are heightened, we're also much more pro- susceptible to programming. And cr- mm-hmm. so my beliefs that happened that day were that my mom is not to be trusted. She's a liar. Mm-hmm. That I have to find another way. No matter what somebody tells me, what the way to do it is, I have to go against that and find a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And people's lives are at line, at line, on on the line. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> on the line. Yeah, um, lives are on the line. Yep. But that's that's exactly what my five year old brain new. And, you know, these things as they get programmed in, you know, I know this from my work, when these Mm -hmm. things happen to us when we're little, when these triggers are activated again, Mm -hmm. we operate with the resources of however old we were when we had that trigger. So when I have those moments when somebody's not feeling good or somebody's unhappy, here we get to how we all led to that (laughs) turning point, Uh I'm operating with the resources of a five-year-old trying to (laughs) explain the way a five-year-old would explain, trying to make you understand and see the point because somebody's gonna die and probably a little hysterical and probably not very clear. Right. So it's one of those things that brings me right back Back to to it. The trauma. Five-year-old. Yeah. Right? You're looking for the bag of sugar to be able to bring. Exactly. So, and then after that, I had quite a bit more trauma. I had, mm-hmm. you know, my babysitter's kids used to lo- tie me up and lock me in the closet, mm. leave me there overnight. I had a couple sexual assaults when I was little, all before mm-hmm. the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so it was my early childhood, which is where mm-hmm. we form most of our beliefs, where mm-hmm. we form most of our programming and brain mm-hmm. wiring. It was all about needing my mom to love me, all mm-hmm. about trying to fix it, and all about trying to stay safe. Yeah. And for me, trying to stay safe was making everybody okay. If everybody's okay, nothing bad will happen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. And how long, like, I assume that for a long time, that's how your brain, let's call it, you know, operated. And that's how you kind of went through the world. Yeah, it's for most of my life. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that trauma when I was four, I didn't Mm -hmm. remember that trauma until 2012. Wow. So the interesting thing about trauma that is forgotten that mm-hmm. our brain protects us it mm-hmm. will start to come about and rear its head when you are emotionally capable of being able to handle it and potentially process it but it still programs the beliefs the experience is still in your subconscious mm-hmm. mind so you still act out the trauma and that relationship that I had with the man that I worked with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I look back, and this was the really interesting thing, is it was really basically reliving my mm-hmm. entire childhood in one mm-hmm. relationship. It was the the sort of standoffish, you can't get the love kind of thing, mm-hmm, ch- chasing mm-hmm. the love of my mom. Yep, yep. yep. And... 
you know, we throw in some sexual assaults in there. Mm -hmm. We throw in everything. But it really was a very concentrated, more intense version, of course, fueled with alcohol and drugs. I didn't do drugs, but Mm -hmm. I drank for sure. But fueled with all of that, just fired in reliving my childhood trauma. It's Mm -hmm. And our mind does that. Our mind wants to relive it so that we can change the outcome Mm -hmm. so that the memories can process and go into long-term memory and basically be healed of your trauma. (laughs) Right. So basically, like in my very unscientific um, process explanation here, like trauma that we cannot process gets put in like a little box, locked away, tucked in the back of the attic until we're ready to bring it down. And it starts to sneak down sometimes down the steps and we just keep repeating. It just starts becoming a record that's skipping until we finally like, find what, you know, and start listening to the record. And sometimes it's a song we've heard before. And we're like, oh, fuck, you know? And then that moment of then trying to re, like, re-record the song or whatever, I'm really going with this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I love this metaphor. Yeah, I know. This is good. Like, it, was a, it was a record player we put up in the attic. Um, trying to, like, re-record the song, it's such hard work, but it's so worth it because that song is going to keep replaying on repeat. It's going to keep coming. It's, it will find its way back, you yeah. know, down to you. And it's so that th- these like lost memories, the lost traumatic memories are just so fascinating to me. And I like, did it, I've had, I've had somebody tell me that theirs came back in like a boom. And all of a sudden, like they were on the couch and they had flashback memories. Did yours happen in that sort of way? Or was it like more of a, Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's slower. For Mm -hmm. me, it was slower. And I had Mm -hmm. another one come back a few years later. But it's so interesting. The way our subconscious works, Mm -hmm. it's it's there. So Mm -hmm. I used to be a photographer as well as a bartender in my Mm -hmm. former life. Um, But I was... I traveled the country photographing ghost bikes. Do you know what those are? No. Ghost bikes are bicycles that are painted white and locked to an oh, intersection okay. where, mm-hmm. where a cyclist was killed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've seen white bikes and didn't know what they were. Yep. Good. That's so what I learned today. There And I did a road trip traveling the country photographing them, which I later self-published a book. Mm-hmm. But everything I photographed on that trip had to do with death. Mm-hmm. I photographed cemeteries, I photographed roadkill, I photographed dilapidated buildings, and mm-hmm. I photographed ghost bikes. Mm-hmm. And you want to say that my subconscious mind was trying to tell me something? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Janaea. Hey. My family, <laughs> my family was always, why don't you photograph anything pretty and nice? <laughs> like... This is what interests me. me. Don't you like this is who I am. <laughs> but <laughs> what's really what's really happening is my subconscious mind was, was trying tick, to say, tick, tick. "Hey, mm-hmm. there's something going on here." And so mm-hmm. I traveled I drove 6,000 miles mm-hmm. in like 27 days. Oh I went gosh. to 
I can't even remember how many cities right now. I worked my butt off, but there's something about having this time where you're quiet and you're by yourself and you're not talking to anybody. And I think with the pandemic too, people are beginning, are, this is happening for people. The stuff that's buried deep down is bubbling up. And so for me, I would be driving down the street and I would start to, I mean, bawl hysterically out of the blue and I didn't I no know what it was attached to. And I actually, with, my therapist at the time who was great, but I went chasing the memories. Mm-hmm. And okay. at first I was unclear about what was real, what was not. And mm-hmm. the little snippets that I started mm-hmm. actually getting that I could feel were real, I started replaying them over and over in my head, mm-hmm. talked to them through in therapy over and over. I re-traumatized myself basically. Yep. yep. Um, that's one of the things that, I think can be a danger in therapy mm-hmm. sometimes is we talk about our traumas over and over and over. And Ad unless, nauseum. unless mm-hmm. they're processed, mm-hmm. I can talk about my traumas all day long now yep. because they're processed, they're healed, they're in my long-term memory, the emotional mm-hmm. content is neutralized. But at the time, I just, I wanted to know all the details so badly, but your mm-hmm. brain's only gonna give you what you can handle. Mm-hmm. And that's something I learned later through remembering my second sexual molestation is it started coming to me in meditation and okay. it would come just a little bit and I didn't chase it this time. And my body would do things like rapid eye movement. I don't know if you're familiar okay. with EMDR, but they yes, use that too. I did EMDR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your body knows how to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so it would come up with just a little bit of it and brain would process a little bit every day. And it took a couple weeks before I got the whole picture. And mm-hmm. I did some other stuff that I was starting to do with the work that I do now. It's similar mm-hmm. to a lot of the work that I do now that I just instinctively started doing while mm-hmm. I was in meditation for healing and processing the trauma as well. So that was the easiest trauma ever. <laughs> it's like <laughs> little pieces here and there, a little like snippet. <laughs> okay, here's just a little bit. You heal that, you process that. Okay, tomorrow we'll give you a little more. A little more. <laughs> and then it was gone. It was um, such, I mean, that was the coolest way to process was, a trauma ever. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, love, I love what this show brings up. You know what I mean? Like, dude, that trauma processing was nothing compared to my other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I love it. So let's like go back into your story for a second of like, so when, you know, you, you, you've had this moment in life when you're like, okay, like kind of like shit's going to change. Like take us back there. What happened? You know, you've, you've told the, the, the coworkers and you've, you know, I, cause I, I know it doesn't stop there, you know? So let's go back to there for a second. And how did you get to, cause then I want to get to be able to get to like where you are now and what you do now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it kind of started a little bit in 2010. If I mm-hmm. look back, I could see stuff was bubbling up. Mm-hmm. And I used to come to New- I, I'm from San Francisco and I used to come to New York every six to nine months or so mm-hmm. because it was always the place that felt like home. Mm-hmm. And so I got back from a trip in May. I was in, still I was involved with this guy and 
I just knew because I always felt like I had I was called to do bigger better things mm-hmm. than I was mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. and I had really you know we do this we create a life that becomes comfortable for us trying to mm-hmm. usually trying to give us all the stuff that we missed out on on childhood and mm-hmm. so I had created a social circle I yeah. planned these big events I did every year And I really brought together a community and I realized on this trip that I needed to change every, if I wanted to make the impact in the world that I really felt was my purpose, I needed to change everything in my life. So I got Mm -hmm. home from that trip and I decided I would do all the events one last time. Mm -hmm. That would be the end. 2010 would be the end of all of that. But you know, things got messy and I got involved deeper in that relationship and then the rape happened and blah, 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 all that. (laughs) I didn't really make big progress on changing my life. I Mm -hmm. stopped all, I stopped doing all the events, but I kind of alienated myself Mm -hmm. even more from my friends, I guess, in some ways. But then from there it was i think i'm trying to think too i actually i think i went back i don't remember when i went back to therapy but i think i went back to therapy after the rape and then Mm -hmm. i was dealing Mm -hmm. with my mom had a house in chico that was falling apart and hadn't been had been empty for years so Mm -hmm. there was all this stress and i was just reaching a breaking point Mm-hmm. And then I eventually decided to move to New York. I think was I worked with that therapist who was awesome for a couple mm-hmm. of years and then moved to New York at the end of 2013 and that's really where my personal healing started mm-hmm. catapulting. Mhm. Like, is there something like uh, is there something of course since <laughs> the changing the physical space and that a lot of times is is location like truly moving moving to move on well mm -hmm. i think what it really comes down to is that you sometimes you have to move to Mm -hmm. realize that it's not the surroundings that Mm -hmm. are causing your pain Mm -hmm. wherever you go there you are there you are exactly so I mean, if you talk to my old friends, I used to sit there and say, I'm just, I can't handle being around people that are sitting on the same bar stool 10 years later talking about doing the same things that they're yeah. going to do, <laughs> blah, 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 yeah. blah. And so I really, I think, thought it was San Francisco that was out to get me, kind of, not really, <laughs> but kind of. And even I remember one of my really good friends came to visit me. She's like, I wish, once I moved to New York, she's like, I wish you would stop bagging on San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a wake up little moment where I started to see like, okay, yeah, maybe it's not the place as place. much. And then little by little, I started doing all the things, mm-hmm. ayahuasca ceremonies, combo, shamanic mm-hmm. healings, mm-hmm. NLP, hypnotherapy, 
brought some other oh transformational workshops another relationship that was such a huge learning experience and I got to really learn so much and grow so much Mm -hmm. so and then when when you moved did you you didn't continue bartending I did oh you did Mm -hmm. but if I feel like I remember it, it took on a much different like um you have a much different perspective on it, didn't you? Well, when I moved, one of the things that I always said about in San Francisco, so when we're young, when we're in our Mm -hmm. early 20s and we're meeting all our friends and Mm -hmm. connecting, and Mm -hmm. it's really easy to make new friends. And Mm -hmm. as a bartender, you've got tons of people around you all the time who, Mm -hmm. of course, you... That you know, you work in neighborhood bars. Everybody considers you a friend. And one of the things that I hated was that I was always at work. So San Francisco is a small town, so I couldn't go out without somebody knowing me. And yep. even if I didn't like them, I still felt like I needed to be nice to them because mm-hmm. I still wanted them to tip me well when they came uh-huh. into my bar. Uh-huh. And so when I came to New York. New York is way bigger, first off. And second, I could be much more selective about who I partied with. I was 40 when I moved Uh to New York. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more clear who we are at 40 as to what kind of people we're going to be Be. than when we're 25. Uh Uh And so... I was very selective about who I chose to hang out with outside of the bar, where I wasn't so selective when I was young. So I was able to keep relationships, like boundaries, basically. uh I could have, uh yeah, I could have boundaries. Boundaries. (laughs) (gasps) Wow. I don't think you were... taught that at a um at your like family no. a family meetings you had once a week with your mom you didn't go over boundaries no we did not <laughs> no we did not so, i learned how to not have them because uh-huh. because you know people put pushed past them when they were not supposed to when mm-hmm. i was too young to know better but yeah yeah exactly so when <laughs> oh, i'm like oh <laughs> when you when you started like really like you like you went through like the the therapies and and the, the like how did you know shit really was starting to change this time? Huh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I, where mm-hmm. I got a text from somebody and they said something about something I did wrong and I of course had the mindset that I do everything wrong. I'm a fuck up, I'm a screw up, I am a horrible person. You tell me I messed up on something or made a mistake, I'm going to go into a shame spiral. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I used to do. And normally my response or reaction, let's be clear, is a reaction yeah. Yeah. Yes. would be, yes. I'm so sorry, what do I have to do? Let me do uh, like, uh, uh, Panic, and, panic. Right. And so I stopped, I looked at the text, and I said, hmm, that's a first of all right there. The yeah. fact I, I paused. Yeah, paused. <laughs> it's like, hmm, all right, 
I messed up the money by two dollars, mm-hmm. which means that not really mm-hmm. a big deal, but it's mm-hmm. a big deal to this person. Mm-hmm. And how do I want this to go? How do I mm-hmm. want this to go? So I thought about all the different ways I could respond, mm-hmm. not react. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I chose, here's the big word, I oh. chose to respond exactly the way I would have normally have reacted because the reaction in the past got me what I wanted, which was, you're not a terrible person. It's not really that big of a deal. It's, mm-hmm. it's okay. We can let it go. Right. But it was a choice this time. Yes. And I thought about how I wanted the outcome to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's the huge thing because we always think that moments like trying to do everything right, trying mm-hmm. to be perfect, all of mm-hmm. that stuff, it's about control. Mm-hmm. We think that we have more control if we do all of those things. Mm -hmm. But this moment showed me so clearly that we have so much more control Mm -hmm. when we don't do any of that. Because I was able to stop and decide, think through all the different possibilities, what would give me the outcome I wanted Mm-hmm. because I wasn't all up in an emotional reactive state because mm-hmm. I didn't really, I realized it was this person's emotions that mm-hmm. were the issue. It wasn't about me really. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I could choose how I wanted it to go, which actually gave me 20 times more control <laughs> than, <laughs> than trying to control the situation. <laughs> <gasps> I my 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 friend who's about a decade long friendship we have she has given me we give each other tools and I remember one she's given me and I can't remember what the respond not react one is it might just be this one maybe I'm just confusing it the wait why am I talking mm. been a huge I tried to remember like just wait just wait just wait you know in in conversation and I'm trying to use it in in this respond not react sort of thing. As a mother, it's very easy to slip into uh, reacting because a lot yep. of times uh, like things are spilling, things are broken, things are like, it's, if you were a reactor, not a responder before motherhood, it's going to be, <laughs> it's, it's not going to go easy for a little while. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm anyway. not really a reactor at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. time now, Here's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, because I know how to heal my triggers and how uh-huh. to reprogram my brain, basically, whenever I feel triggered or I mm-hmm. feel reactive, mm-hmm. I get to stop. I mean, sometimes I don't catch it, but yeah. as soon mm-hmm. as I catch it, I get super excited because it, it's, uh, it's something for me to heal and yeah. something for me to shift. And it's not about fixing in that mm-hmm, way mm-mm. of somebody's going to die unless I fix this. Right, not the people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Right, it's that, oh, I feel triggered around this and that means it's about me, mm-hmm. which means there is some wound in my life mm-hmm. 
that usually comes from early childhood Mm -hmm. because we don't have the emotional capacity. Anytime that we are overwhelmed when we are children, Mm -hmm. it registers or adults even, it registers to our nervous system as trauma. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it will often create a trigger unless we're soothed right away and we Mm -hmm. can process the emotions through the emotions or when we stuff our emotions, Mm -hmm. they create triggers. So Mm -hmm. it's about some event within me Mm -hmm. that is not processed, not healed. And I have the skills to go through and heal that stuff for myself, which is so cool. So I kind of get so, excited when I figure that stuff out. Right. So Trigger you, me. Do it. Yeah, do okay, it. Okay. All right. Let me think. Uh, so how, when you said you can feel it, like what does it feel like to your body? I know what mine feels like, but what does it feel like to you when you're like, oh, this is happening, you know? I usually go really fast. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. And defensiveness it's interesting too this is another very interesting thing because i've healed so much i've healed really big stuff but there's little layers of weird stuff underneath Mm -hmm. like i didn't realize that i always have had a tiny hint of overwhelm in Mm -hmm. my life Mm-hmm. And I never realized it because there was so much big stuff and also my survival coping mechanisms were really powerful, really mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you started working on those very young. Exactly. And mm-hmm. they were they were super powerful. The beautiful mm-hmm. thing is, is I can still, if I need them, mm-hmm. I can still do it. If I need my brain to work like a Tetris machine so that I can figure out where everything needs to go and in a crazy way that most people would not be able to plan and figure out, I can snap right into it. So mm-hmm. I still get to keep the superpowers. <laughs> but the coping mechanisms were so strong that I never noticed the tiny little bit of overwhelm that was mm-hmm. always kind of there. And so as I've cleared out that big stuff, then I'm left with, why am I feeling this little bit of overwhelm? What's going mm-hmm. on? So I get to check in with that. And that was, for me, as I go back in time, that was actually a birth trauma. Okay. So wow. coming into the world, well, overwhelming. For, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of people probably have that. And it wasn't <laughs> crazy. It wasn't a crazy, mm-hmm. intense, overwhelm, like major anxiety, like a lot mm-hmm. of people get. But it was enough that I was having trouble focusing, which my old coping mechanisms mm-hmm. kept me focused. Maybe not uh, on the right thing. thing. <laughs> but at least you were focused. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I know that you you've now have a, a like a career path that has sprung from this, haven't haven't you? As I started healing my traumas one by one or little by little a lot of the stuff that i did was not directive so i could Mm -hmm. sit in ayahuasca ceremony and have major transformation Mm -hmm. but i didn't get to choose what i healed what i worked on Mm -hmm. i the same thing a lot of stuff shifted for me with combo which is an amazonian frog medicine And I was using that for physical health stuff, not so much emotional health, but I noticed that it took a lot of the charge out of some of my traumas. Mm 
But what I learned over my own healing path that you can direct and is incredibly effective was hypnotherapy and NLP. So I started studying them. And I started this work, I was still bartending and starting this work, I had to go through that identity crisis of letting go of being a bartender. I was a bartender for 26 years. So, but the interesting thing is too, is where my work has really led me. And I think because of my past and because of not remembering all my traumas, but they still Mm -hmm. played a role in my subconscious is that we need to shift our subconscious if we Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. to create the life that we want to create that greater ease, that greater efficacy. And so the funny thing is, is as a bartender, though, I've been dealing with people operating from conscious to (laughs) unconscious. And Mm -hmm. I see it so clearly when people are really drunk, they are operating as their childhood (laughs) wounded self. Mm -hmm. So that person that felt like they never got heard, they mm-hmm. might be really quiet up to like four drinks, five drinks, and, and then and you then. can't shut them up because their mm-hmm. their child self is coming out, acting out, because now your conscious mind has relinquished the control. Yep. And yep. all your all of our wounded parts get to come out to play. When we're really mm-hmm. drunk. So the, people talk about, oh, you just, you want to see who you're dating. You want to see who they really are, get them really drunk. And if, mm-hmm. they're, if they're not too different, it's probably okay. But if they're re- right. crazy different, they've got some stuff they need to work through probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that you've combined this work of bartending with, you know, the hypnotherapy and the NLP, you call mm-hmm. it? Or, okay, can you tell me what that it's is? Neuro linguistic programming. It's basically okay. another way of talking to the subconscious, just like hypnotherapy. Oh. It's um, mm-hmm. a little less storytelling, a little more lasered, I guess, okay. if I was going to cool. okay. describe okay. the difference. But I kind of I combine the two because mm-hmm. I find that using both is incredibly effective and different things work better for different people. True, um, true. And that's one thing I've been blessed with is a very intuitive nature, probably from watching people trying to stay safe and mm-hmm. also bartending mm-hmm. for so long. I can really feel into what people need and what's gonna be effective for them pretty easily. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty fun. Yeah. So do you, do you still bartend? No. No? No, no, no. Okay, okay. I was like, you know, do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in the beginning, like, I'm sure these were just like very, like when you, when you started to do this new work, um, were you still bartending? Yeah. Then, okay. So like, was it just this amazing, like, <gasps> whoa, I can like, <laughs> it was <laughs> when people were drunk, were you tempted to be like, so? <laughs> well, it was interesting because I already knew it. It, yeah. It, yeah. it was something, I mean, the thing about bartending is you deal with people, bartenders are going to be the most intuitive people you know. That's no. Yep. There's no joke. I mean, it's a joke about your bartenders, your therapist, but they see people at their yeah. best. They see people at their worst. Their worst. And mm-hmm. they see everything in between. Mm-hmm. We get to know 
I get, I've seen so many people from their extremes that their partners, wives, husbands sometimes never have even seen. Never even see. And yep. so a lot of the stuff I learned, I knew intuitively already. I just now had mm-hmm. language to explain it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. And that was one of my things too when I was young because I, I never felt like I was understood. As you can imagine, my mm-hmm. mom didn't understand <laughs> me when I was trying to explain to her that Carl needed sugar. He oh, was going to die. I just, when I, things started to heal and work out and when I started being able to put language to the stuff that I really mm-hmm. knew, I got super excited and probably all my friends were very yeah. annoyed with me. Yes. <laughs> but I want to explain it because now I have the language and I can actually ex- explain it. Really, yes, I love it. Can we talk about like what you what what you do now, what you offer? I'm like when you get a client, like how does like can you tell me how how you begin this process? Yeah. So first, yeah. first off, if somebody's interested, we do a quick little 15 minute phone call just to make sure mm-hmm. what they're looking to shift or what they're mm-hmm. looking for is something I can help mm-hmm. them with. And mm-hmm. then if it makes sense if it is something that I'm pretty sure I can help them with. We'll do a longer complimentary pathway session, which mm-hmm. can is about two and a half hours. We go deep and it's all complimentary. We talk about what it is they want, what's been stopping mm-hmm. them from getting there, um, what it looks like when they have it. And we know there's a part of us that really knows what's in our way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and then from there I will describe my program how it works and how it will work specifically for what they're going to what they're trying to achieve and for me it basically Mm -hmm. it works in three steps so the first step is clear so here's where we do Mm -hmm. any trauma clearing that needs to happen Mm -hmm. we reduce the um, excessive emotional reaction. So if you have a lot of anger, if you have a lot of shame, mm-hmm. a lot of sadness, so we neutralize that stuff. And then we start, second step is building. We start building the self-esteem. We start building in your values, getting all of that, teach you how to learn how to deal with your emotions so that we don't create new triggers, teach you how to Mm -hmm. identify your triggers. Mm -hmm. And in stage three, we solidify everything, make sure everything is working because we're creating permanent change here. We're not, Mm -hmm. we want to make sure, this is why my programs are generally six months because we want Mm -hmm. time to make sure everything's integrated because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've all done it. We've all gone to a workshop and come home <laughs> and like, woohoo, and everything shifted for like a week and then we just a slide week. into our other patterns. We have all this mm-hmm. knowledge, but there hasn't been enough time to actually integrate. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I do in stage three, which is really key, is I teach people how to heal their own triggers. Mm. So you've learned how to identify them and now Sally Joe is triggering you and you're annoyed, but tomorrow you can look at it objectively and be like, okay, 
let's just heal that trigger so that Sally Joe doesn't trigger me anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, doing that. I'm also starting doing self-worth workshops. Those are five-week workshops. Okay. So if somebody wants to dip their toe in without doing a full <laughs> six months, it's a good way to do it. And I have to say one of the biggest forms of self-sabotage that we all have is low mm-hmm. self-worth. Mm-hmm. And some people have great self-worth in... Mm-hmm many, many areas, but it might be lacking in one area. Right. Uh, like I've, I've seen this like professionally, yeah. saying low self-worth uh, romantically exactly. or, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it can manifest in different. Yeah. You know. So I've been doing that. I also do pathway set or not pathway illumination sessions, which are, we tap into your subconscious and open up your own inner knowing because there's a part of us that actually knows deep within us what is Mm -hmm. best for us, what's getting in our way, what we need to watch out for. It knows, I mean, it's in us. It knows our body. It knows Mm -hmm. what we need and what doesn't work for us. And those can be incredibly illuminating. (laughs) Why why they're called illumination sessions. Uh And... (laughs) It's it's a good place if you just kind of feel a little bit stuck, you need a nudge, you're mm-hmm. not sure, maybe you're struggling with the decision. It's a really good pathway to just open up some knowledge. And when it mm-hmm. comes from deep within yourself, it, there's already a trust there. I always, yeah. I always love when my clients have one and the, their inner knowing tells them, to do something that they've been avoiding that they hate doing. That's when they know uh-huh. that it's real. Well, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <gasps> absolutely, absolutely. That's uh-huh. funny. What we resist persists, right? Man. Oh, totally. Were there, are they, you know? <laughs> Always with that. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we're 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 wrapping things up pretty good. But I always open. I like to do an open ended. Like, what else do you want to share with people from, you know, your story, your experience, or, you know, your your career now? I think when I think about people and mm-hmm. what they need more than anything is to be easier on yourself. Mm-hmm. We have these voices inside of our head that say, you're not good enough, you're stupid, why did you do that? All of those things. And mm-hmm. if you take just a moment, actually, this would be great for everybody to close your eyes mm-hmm. for just a moment, unless mm-hmm. you're driving or walking mm-hmm. down the street. Right, right. Stop <laughs> first. Stop. But if you mm-hmm. picture and listen to one of those voices that always come through your head, mm-hmm. and if you notice where it's coming from, mm-hmm. is it above you, behind you, inside of you? Is it right in front of your face? Me, it's behind. Yeah, for most people it's above, behind, to the side. Because Mm. those voices are not Mm -hmm. your voice. Mm -hmm. 
they if it comes from inside of you it might be your mm -hmm. voice it might not it's not a hundred percent sure if it comes mm -hmm. from right in front of your face it also mm -hmm. might be your voice mm -hmm. but if you had a parent that's got down to your level and talked to you right to your face it could be theirs too mm -hmm. but generally speaking if it's above behind to the side of you mm -hmm. it's not your voice that's somebody mm -hmm. else's belief and so that's one thing to keep in mind when those voices are running through your head mm -hmm. it's not yours Mm -hmm. You get to let mm -hmm. it go. I know it takes some work. Mm -hmm. It takes some repetitive or, you know, working with somebody like me, it goes quick. But generally mm -hmm. speaking, you can get rid of those voices. And I think one of the first things is knowing it's not yours. Mm -hmm. It's not you. I went to a conference <laughs> <laughs> one time and um, she had you name that voice mm -hmm. just like give it a name and tell her to shut up yeah. you know yeah she said it much more eloquently than that and there was a lot more involved in yeah. that but and i i've told that to a couple of people and they're like i've never thought of that i'm like give it a name like truly identify that it's not your inner knowing and it's not your inner it's not your highest self know. yeah yeah it's not your highest self yeah mm -hmm. yep yep yeah absolutely that's a great thing to leave us with thank you for that yeah you're welcome let's do our questions and then we'll talk about where people can find okay. you right at the end okay cool this is when we talk about silly stuff. I, I like silly it. stuff a lot. <laughs> yeah. What was your first car? My first car was a Toyota. I can't remember what year. 19. I don't know what year it was. It was a Toyota Celica. It was old. Ooh, it was a 1983 Toyota Celica. Yes. It was blue. Yes. The ones with like the <gasps> dark blue. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. I remember what they looked like. Oh, those are good ones. Remember the Tercel? Toyota had some really cool. I mean, my stepdad did auto body and paint work, so we oh. always had cool cars around. Like, mm -hmm. but I was a sucker for big trucks. Later, I had the truck I really wanted in high school, which was mm -hmm. a night. Well, it's a '92 lifted Toyota pickup with roll bars nice. and <laughs> big <Yes>. tires, <laughs> 33 inch tires. Nice. My friend, my friend Maddie wanted to get me a license plate that says, this is not my boyfriend's truck. <laughs> yes. At least a bumper sticker. Right. God. Oh. When did you get your period? I was 11 and it was, uh -huh. it was terribly traumatic. Well, oh. it wasn't, the, I got my first period and it was like I spotted and my second yep. one I I didn't know, so I just put a panty liner in. I thought that was it. And I went to school mm -hmm. in white pants, oh, and boy. I got a really heavy period. And I went out of school, or I called my teacher over and told her and tied my sweater around my waist and left. But mm -hmm. I had bled all over the seat, and she sat in the seat and had got <gasps> blood on the back of her pants. I guess she never knew. And so I went home. And my mom made me go back to school. And everybody and knew because the teacher was walking around with blood all over her no. pants. And I couldn't believe my mom made me go back. <sighs> it was horrible. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, knowing my mom, of course she made me go back. See, the, I mean, the, the couple sentences you've told me about her, I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> 
Oh, this is um, toilet paper. Over, under, or you don't Over. care? Yeah. Do you change it if you can? Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's harder to get to when it's under. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, it's, I know. It's just that simple. It's my I know. when I said my brain works like a Tetris game. It's always looking mm-hmm. for efficiency. Agreed. And so and that's I, why over. So I don't know if you listened to Michelle Obama's podcast. So there was an episode a couple months ago where her family, her dad, was an under person. Oh. Like the Robinsons were super under. He was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, under. And her brother, um, what is her brother's name anyway? It was an episode with, with its, her brother and her mom talking and they talk about this and how serious he was about it. And that was just their family thing. And then Barack is an over and Michelle became an over <laughs> because she was like, I'm just not going to fight about it. <laughs> anyway, I mean, sometimes I because being a shapeshifter, there are mm-hmm. times, again, you get to still have, like I still mm-hmm. can be a people pleaser if it serves my highest outcome yep. and then I yep. can go ahead and do that but it's not out of all that need for before so being able right. to be flexible is a very great superpower to have agreed agreed I'm just full of like quips I'm today what doesn't Ben breaks <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the, uh, uh, yeah. uh. Um, what's the last book you read or listened to you know on audible or whatever or what are you currently reading? I am currently reading Principles by Ray Diallo. Diallo? Diallo? And I finished Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. That one, you, if you do that one, you've got to do it on Audible, though. Uh-huh. Um, so can I tell you some? Yeah. My husband sounds like Matthew McConaughey. Oh, Wow. I live in Texas, and my husband's from South Texas. He's the um, he's the intro to the show. Ah, yeah. He even says, "All right, all right, all right." Yeah. All right. Uh, yep, that's my husband. That's funny. <laughs> yep. But that was um, so much more mm-hmm. pleasurable than I thought it was going to be. It was a really great, it's mm-hmm. great. It's a great example of mindset. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. super powerful in the way of mindset. Uh, cilantro, yes or no? Totally, all day, all day. Cool. All day, all day. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) When you, you know, go to your favorite local place or Starbucks or whatever, that's not important. I want to know is when you order a latte or a cappuccino or whatever, what milk do you order? Oh, I'm so, well, these days, caffeine is not Uh my friend Mm -hmm. so much. Okay. But I love, but I love coffee. Uh So, okay. Sometimes I will still do it. But, uh huh. Sometimes I will do decaf because, yes, but mm-hmm. it's I'm so snobby. Like the espresso has to be done well. If you're not weighing uh-huh. it out, it tastes mm-hmm. burnt. Like all the things. I am a almond milk cortado mm-hmm. person. I have cortados at my shops. <laughs> do you have? Do you I, have? Okay, so here's a. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's the macchiato. I used to do macchiatos all the time, and you go places, 
and they do a macchiato that's all milk and it's the Starbucks. Yeah, macchiato. the Starbucks yeah. macchiato. I was like, that is <laughs> not caramel. a macchiato. That macchiato. Is, that is, that I want. I want it's espresso a, with just it's a, it's a, a, little, a little bit of foam. a little bit. Do you know how many times I have that conversation every day? Oh, Do you know how many times? Quite a few. Yeah, I have both macchiatos on my menu actually. Oh, that's um, probably anyway. smart actually for uh-huh. certain because it's people. Yep, there's a. Yep, there's a market um, for both where we live. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've created a drink called the Star Cups Macchiato. Nice. Uh-uh. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yes, but um, the, yeah. If Hey, anybody, do you know what the difference between a regular or a, a traditional, we call it traditional right. macchiato. So macchiato means marked or stained in Italian. So you are staining the espresso with the foam. Yeah. That's... It's, Shots of espresso and a little cup with a little bit of foam. That's a macchiato. Oh, yeah. I lived, I mean, living in New York, getting Mm -hmm. macchiatos every day and Mm -hmm. then going when caffeine was not, is I think because I'm not, my system's not in fight or flight anymore. I think that's. It has a stronger effect. Yeah, I think Uh that's Mm -hmm. what's really going on. But then going to visit my mom in Portland and Mm -hmm. (laughs) everywhere I went, I was like, what is this? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, the, it is. You couldn't, you couldn't find more a, a polar opposite in drinks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so disappointing. It's part of our training. I'm like the person ordering it. You can kind of tell which one they want. True. <laughs> you can you can read that. Anyway, um, oh, I think I know the answer to this. Can you drive a standard transmission? Yes, I learned. Yes. So when I bought that truck, uh-huh. I did not know how to drive a standard transmission Uh and Uh my recent ex-boyfriend at the time he was very recent he had told me he would help me buy a truck and he did and then he took me to the school the local community college school parking lot which had it was like a reservoir so it had a a hill hill. and then a flat he was was giving it to you and he taught me how to drive in like a half an hour and i was very terrible at it but this was san francisco so i learned you had to right and that was it that was my only lesson and from there i was on my own trying Mm -hmm. to learn how to drive so i would I would <laughs> I would make my way to the community college. I got pulled over once. They're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm trying to go practice driving my stick shift." They were very nice. And I practiced. Uh, it was a great place to practice because I could practice on the hill. But I didn't mm-hmm. learn all that little stuff, balancing the pedals, using mm-hmm. the e-brake. I didn't learn any of that stuff. So I learned, I miss driving a stick. I don't even have a car anymore. But when I rent one, I really, I'm like, I want to drive no, a stick. I have a stick. Mm-hmm. I have four children, so there's not many uh, vehicles that I, you know, I I just, actually, I, we had a big discussion years ago when I was, I had drove a big conversion van and I was like, it's getting, it's just so big to drive. Like I wanted, I was like, honey, I think, I think uh, what I need something smaller than a conversion man that holds four children is a minivan. He was like, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yes, I just, yeah, I was like, you just calm down. You're still the same person you are. <laughs> you know, I wear a fanny pack and I want to drive a minivan. Not ironically, like I just do. Anyway, I miss this. That was the whole long story. I miss driving a standard as well. And I also, my first car was a standard and my father was actually at my house right now. He um, was going to teach me how to drive it, but I was home at my house and I, it was the afternoon and no one was home and the car was out in the parking lot or, you know, on the driveway. And I was like, well, am I going to sit around and be told how to do this or I'm going to do it right now by myself? 
I went and did, <laughs> my dad was like, you did what? And I was like, oh yeah, I just figured it out. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I figured it out. I watched my mom drive a standard my whole right. life and I, I was never given instruction and I wow. just did it. That's awesome. There yeah, is I, that's, something so powerful about yes. the, being able to decide you want to do something and having that mm-hmm. sense of efficacy to do it. My mom wasn't perfect mm-hmm. in many ways, but she did always have me try to do things on my own and it really First, instilled mm-hmm. a huge sense of efficacy. And I, of course, had that mm-hmm. I people please, I need to make her love me, I have to do it right. Mm-hmm. So right. my sense of efficacy is top notch. Once we started taking all the other stuff away, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I can be unstoppable. I, yes, I can do it all. Totally. <laughs> totally. Family of origin, obviously. Um, where are you in the birth order? Oh. Are you only child? Or are you the... So I am sort of an only child, but not really. My okay. father was married and had a daughter before me. And she okay. is a couple years older than me, I guess. My mom and my dad got together. They had me. And then my dad mm-hmm. took off when I was a couple months old. So... Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't have a dad until yeah. I did meet him, and we have a great relationship now when I was cool. in 28, I think. And mm-hmm. then he had a younger, another daughter after me, Kelly. So my older sister I've never met in person. We've talked on the phone once. We're connected through Facebook. And then my little sister and I have met in person a few times, and we communicate Probably not as regularly as I should. Should's, <laughs> should's a bad word, so I'm not yep, going to... Yep, don't shit all of yourself. I'm not, exactly. I'm not going to uh-huh. use it. I'm not going to use it, but um, we do communicate and we have love for each other. So Cool. Cool. Yeah. So kind of one, kind of middle of three, huh? Yeah, sort of. Yep. All the yep. growing up aspects of being an only child, but technically yeah. I guess I'm a middle yeah. child. Oh, I've never yeah. actually thought about the fact that <laughs> I'm a that. middle child. <laughs> I just blew weird. your mind. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, you did. <laughs> hmm. um, this is a fun question, and it's so interesting to know or, or to, to hear who can access this or not. I'm so interested to know if you can. What was your kindergarten teacher's name? No idea. Mrs. Brown. Nothing. Whoa. Nothing. <gasps> I've got you twice now. That's funny because I've been, I'm actually in process of writing a book mm-hmm. about my life called How a Broken mm-hmm. Girl Became Magic. And I don't remember uh-huh. any of my teachers' names except for uh-huh. one, two of my high school teachers. So that was mm-hmm. really weird. But see, the, there's the thing. The subconscious mm-hmm. mind remembers every single little thing. It's in there. Mm-hmm. It's And you know, my last name is Browning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked you. my kindergarten I teacher. I remember that. Uh-huh. 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 Well, it's your middle name. I don't have one. Oh. This, this would be something I would do at the bar to people that were annoying uh-huh. me. I'd be like, I'll give you $20 if you can come up with my middle name. You have five guesses. Make them count. <laughs> or no, I would give them three. I'm lying. Five. That's too easy. Um, no, I would give them three guesses. And after they'd, they'd guess the first two, of course, they'd do a Marie or an Anne or whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. Lynn. And then 
be like, well, you gotta, you gotta get it right. You gotta, so I'm gonna let you be. Will you really concentrate and think about what it can be? I love it. I love it. Well, that's it for my questions. That's my 10 fun questions. So where can people find you? People can find me at, well, I'll give you the first, since people are going to be listening, all I will do is the easy. And will also be linked in show notes. So So the (laughs) easy one, if people are listening and can't access the show notes, Mm -hmm. gbelevate.com. Yep. Okay. That's the easiest one. Most people think my name starts with a J. So when I say JaneaBarnes.com or JaneaBarnes-Elevate.com, mm-hmm. they're not even going to get close. So GBElevate.com yep. is probably the easiest one to remember. Mm-hmm. You don't have to try and spell my name. <laughs> yes. And when I saw your name, I thought it was Gina. Right. Most people yep. do. I've had a weird yep. string of people pronouncing it correct on the first try, which is really, <gasps> f- it's sort of unnerving. It's like happening so much. Have you so Googled much. it? Is there like a celebrity who used it for their baby name? Or no, something? but there is, there is <laughs> okay. a, another Jenea Barnes that I found recently on oh. the web that's spelled the same way. And I think, gosh, she must really hate Googling her name because, because of course I was a photographer and I did a lot of art shows. I did a lot of stuff. So right. you Google my name, all kinds of stuff comes up, but it's all me. So that poor girl, <laughs> I found one wedding announcement where she was a, uh, like a maid of honor or oh, something. Bridesmaid, yeah. yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> Always a bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> Never a Google result. <laughs> right. You are oh, full of them today. <laughs> I am today. God, I am on fire. <laughs> I, uh, every um, end of the show, I do the same thing. I uh, beat my drum, and I promised I would get a drum to beat, but I'd never, I never keep forgetting to get one for my kids' room. Um, that uh, rating and reviewing the show really helps me out because it um, helps move the show up in, I don't know, algorithm yeah. Results, <laughs> you know, however you want to describe it, it really helps to gain exposure to new listeners. So if you could rate and review the show, that'd be really awesome, everyone. And I just want to thank you so much again. Thank you. Janaya for taking time. And I loved getting to know you and I really appreciate your story and I'm so happy to share it. Awesome. And everyone, you know that I met LaJoy Society, which is L-A-J-O-I-E Society. That's my maiden name, by the way, LaJoy. Ah. Yeah. Um, all right, everyone. We'll meet here again next week. Thank you. Everything Bye. up to this point has led me <laughs> here, and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense. Cards left on tables and cards played
this.